Hi. 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 <laughs> Let's start this crazy thing. <laughs> it's the Very A Podcast. We're back. We're back here in Maine. First, uh, is this our first podcast from up here? I think so. Yeah, we've done a Church of Chill up here, a couple of them, but this is our first time yeah. podcasting from here. Yeah, just Church of Chill. Yeah. Man, this is definitely a, a Church of Chill satellite church for sure this when we come up here especially after not leaving the city all year like uh, it's it's levels of chillness that i have to adjust to i almost don't trust it yesterday like you know like i kept getting this feeling like i was forgetting to do something like they're all you know it's it's weird that's like the my internalized capitalists or or something i don't know e.l wilson um the great ethno what is he? I mean, he studies ants and <laughs> colonies, <laughs> and but he's a Nobel laureate and um, very, very respected scientist and great intellect. And um, he's written some books. One of them, I think, the Source of Creativity, and there's some others that are um, not just about insect societies. And he said something along the lines of that. Anywhere you go in the world, any culture, um, language, whatever, you ask people what the ideal situation for a home is. And they say on an elevated piece of land um, that's got an open clearing, mm. but also has trees and water. Mm. Look at this view. I know. I mean, it's archetypal. It's like, we're, you know? Mm -hmm. And so everyone has a profound reaction. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you moved around so much and in some, I don't know, just wrong situations. I guess they were right for the time, but you, you really didn't settle until it feels like this place was waiting for you. It was em sitting empty for 10 years at like half market value. And it's just was a, kind of a funny thing that, no one jumped on it. It's almost like it was uh, waiting for you to be ready to move to Maine. The banks are skittish about it. That's, I think, w one of the things because um, something about the underlying finances or something like I don't know what it was, but there was something. There was only one bank that was giving mortgages. Mm. So that tells you something. Well, the last time you were on the podcast, we were in Oregon. And yeah. you had just done a flood dose of mushrooms. <laughs> I'll, ne I'll never forget that. And quite frankly, probably may never repeat it. <laughs> I've, yeah. I found something better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's super cosmic. Now we're on the opposite coast in a very similar vibe. Very similar vibe. And... You took LSD for the second time in your life, apparently, but the first time in decades. <laughs> um, I'm turning 69 in August, and I took it when I was 16. 53 years ago? That's I was, a big stretch. I was, I was a junior or senior in high school. I don't remember which. Mm. And um, it was okay. It was, you know... I told you a little bit about it, but it was really, I, I wasn't, it wasn't set up right. I wasn't in the right place with the right people or anything. And 
So it was more just pure recreational mm-hmm. and it wasn't like a great sharing kind of experience like yesterday was. I thought yesterday was really magical and I yeah. knew it would be because we're all like in such a creative flow state in our lives, all three of us mm-hmm. in different ways. And um, I think we're we're all like um, feeling really good about who we are and how we're our opportunities for navigating life in the future no matter what i don't know why i feel like we're you guys are really resilient and um that's what it takes and i know i'm really resilient oh I've, yeah i've done a lot in my life and uh come out okay and uh so i i like i never had any feeling like oh this could be a bad trip because yeah. that that because I have demons and all that stuff. If anything was going to kick those into gear, it would have been the mushrooms. <clears throat> I agree. You know, I have a harder time on mushrooms personally. Yeah, I I don't like the nausea. So that that was like that's just something I really don't like at all. Like I'd rather have a headache than nausea. Mm. And uh, but other than that, it was awesome. But this is more fun, and it's just it's happier, and it's mm. it's you know. It's 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 just so different. It's just very peace and love, and we yeah. had such a good time. And and I think we are a loving family, and you guys are really loving people. And Cassie's the queen of compassion, oh, yeah. and she's taught me so much about that. And um, I'm the queen of the meadow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, oh yeah. <laughs> and that that was uh, that was really, I guess you know, putting it together. That's probably why i'm bonding so much with this wonderful animal because yeah, hold he's up. basically a meadow animal mm. right this sweet little guinea i pig. think i don't Here, know i'll feed him a little something make I him don't. pop out he's new to the family he's not <laughs> uh, yeah helix helix is his name oh my god he's adorable he's just eating what is that it's a dandelion leaf so I'm learning what wild things are good for him, and he loves dandelion, and he loves clover, and we've got tons of that in the meadow, plantain, all that stuff. Yeah, it was really fun, because I also took some. It was really fun looking at him and having him around while tripping, because we don't really trip around animals ever. Well, the one breakthrough is he was in his cage and getting a uh, an animal that is hardwired to run to his burrow at any movement or sense of danger. They basically are burrowing animals and come out to feed and then run back in. Mm-hmm. So when you put your hand in, he's like, am I threatened? Whatever. It's really hard to take him out of the cage without him freaking out. And he's, I've learned a little bit. But yesterday... I put this basket in the cage, and I said, baby, if you want to come out, he was squeaking like he wanted to come out. I said, if you want to come out, you get in that basket. He got in the basket, <laughs> and I picked up the basket like it was a little elevator, and he hung out with us for the rest of the night. I mean, like, I never dreamed that a, such a low, an animal so low on the evolutionary chain would figure out the basket trick, you know, and... um and just just be such a wonderful, chill little guy. And so um, I'll show him off, and then we won't talk about him anymore. 
We'll have to do another podcast when his hair grows because he's a baby. And um, I would say easily he's, his hair's grown an inch in the two weeks I've had him. Isn't that wild? My hair doesn't grow an inch in two weeks. He seems like he's doubled in size since we got here a couple days he ago, has. too. That's why I'm saying you can literally watch this thing grow. Mm. So I'm just going to keep feeding him and we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> I think animals are a consciousness expansion tool, just like anything else can be. But having an animal in your life and bonding with them is definitely one of the things that could flood you with compassion and help take that into other aspects of your life yeah yeah i mean i i I never thought of pet ownership is is at all spiritual because we always had pets you know and we Mm -hmm. had so many and Mm -hmm. um but but there is that there's that documentary about the monks um that that take in rescue tigers and stuff like oh that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was cool. What is that? What was that called? Yeah, I forget the name of it. It's really good. You and turned the, us on to that one. Yeah, and the way they, I thought that, um, I recommended to someone wh- who was having a child um, because I thought if uh, if monks can, you know, if you feed them, you know, if you feed them, the, they have to have meat. Mm-hmm. You feed them enough meat, they're fine. You know, and they walk with them, and you know, so you see this film of these monks walking these tigers. It's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think of on on some ayahuasca journeys I've been on, I've had to contend with my relationship with some of the pets, and like where I let them down, and realize that there is a real relationship there, and that we've maybe done this dance multiple times. You know, the relationship, and and just in this particular relationship, like I'm their pet owner and caretaker and and just realizing the karma of doing that well or not doing it well does stick with you and that you will have to keep meeting those same relationships over and over and over again until you kind of like whoa do it right is how i feel whoa um it may be that was such a driver as far i mean i thought i was getting a giddy pig because you could just neglect them like we neglected <laughs> Murph. Yeah, you guys had one and already. And <laughs> really what this is, is it's about redemption for, you know, just having a guinea pig that was not getting really. He got food and water and that, but he didn't get the love or care he he was really open to mm-hmm. and that he needed, actually. But you're going to be spoiled, I can tell. Maybe maybe my love for the animals and wanting to do right by them and not consume them <laughs> has to do with how I treated them before be- beyond just eating them. You right. Know? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't handle it. Like, I don't want a pet right now because I'm, I'm like, I don't, I wouldn't be a good t- caretaker. You know what I mean? And I don't want to have an animal that I'm like, oh, I don't want to take you out for a walk and I don't want to feed you and I don't uh, want to yeah. wake up early. I have no idea what that's like to have a, a like an animal come over or like a dog come over and start licking you and, and, and like be into it. My body just goes so tense when there's like animals all over me for some reason. You know? Well, know. you know, that's why so many couples get a dog before they get... Before they get, before they have a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, John and I didn't do that, but um, 
a lot of people do, and that's a kind of a joke, you know. Oh, they got a they got a puppy. Next, it'll be a baby, and right. of course, that's what happens. Right. Either yeah. that, or they break up over like you didn't do this, you didn't do that, or something like that, and then they realize that there was no potential for a human. Yeah. No, I definitely use it as a gauge. I'm like, I don't even want a dog. Why would I want a baby? Well, a baby could one day be hanging out with us like this. Right. You know, a dog, you're just going to like take care of it. It's going to die. And, you know, and it's, it's a good lesson. It's a good reflection. And there's a lot of love there and bonding to happen and everything. But I could totally see. Well, plus it's, it's, it is the same species as you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it is your DNA and, yeah. and all that history and stuff like that. And you see that come to life, mm. you know, and it's, it's a very powerful thing. And you know that that's why so many people do it. Survival of the species. That seems to be what's driving this whole thing. You know, it's just, it's that. Everything else is games we play around that, mm -hmm. around just being here to procreate. Yeah, that's what all animals do. I, mean, I wish it was easier because, like, Cass and I, I wish it was easier in today's society to do it because Cass and I would love to have kids. Like, we, you know, it, we sometimes we're like, yo, we got to just take that off the table so it's not even a thing in our consciousness because it'll infect our art and it'll impede the way we do things. So let's just say we're not having kids. But then when we like let the floodgates open and we're like, of course we're going to have kids. Something feels so like <sighs> about that. Like, oh, my life will have purpose beyond some shit I it's came up timing. with. I think, Sean, it's about timing. Yeah. Timing is really important. And what's great about reproductive freedom is gives you control over the timing. And um, I mean, I didn't have Cassie till I was 37. And so, and, and that was not on, was just beginning to be that where the career women were, were delaying childbirth. And so, um, and now you can wait longer, but I, I don't think it's a good idea because it can get real complicated and difficult and you don't know until you try whether you need IVF or whatever, which I never would have done any of that stuff. I know that, you know, so, um. I don't knock people who do it. I mean, they must really want a child. And if they have the money, that's that's great. I just I can't imagine us going down that path. Like, I just want to be told either way. Like, I'm kind of very become very comfortable in the uncertainty of life. And I kind of feast on it. But there's something about not knowing whether or not we're going to have a kid that I just am, I feel very uncomfortable about. You know what I mean? I just wanted yeah. someone to tell me like, oh, you're infertile. Like, don't worry about it. You're never going to be having a kid. Like, yeah, I that just, would be cool. That'd like, be cool to just be like, oh, cool. Like, you Well, know. I got that message. Yeah, right. So even if I got the I message. I did have that message. Yeah. Cause and, I, and I lived with that. Daddy and I lived with that for, you know, a year or whatever it was. And, um, and then I got pregnant with you. Right, because you had endometriosis, right? And so you're such a miracle, Cass. Yeah, little miracle baby. Yeah, little fat nine pounds two ounces. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, totally. It's it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. People who are having kids, even in this this time, uh, where things are so different, and you know, you don't know if they can even go to school or if there's going to be a school to go to. Wow, and, that's and so fucked up. That's the part of the reason that I'm like. Oh my God, we can't make friends anymore. We have to like breed our friends. And that's, I feel like it would take like some extreme version of reality where there's like this pandemic for us to like have a kid because 
like it's going to take some extreme version of reality for us to leave the city because we're so content and comfortable mm. that you kind of need oh well we can't make friends because you can't you have to like you have to breed them yeah is that crazy um, i don't think so i think it's <laughs> you know the natural instinct why not i think the pandemic is going to make a lot of people think about the potential of this happening again, which scientists are saying is highly likely because of the disruption to the so many ecosystems. Happening again, and who knows if it's ever going to end. Well, if it's ever going <laughs> to end, right, exactly. So it gets you, yeah. it really does get you thinking that if, if you have a child, you may be responsible for that child's education. Well, a lot of people have been wishing for that all along, which is why homeschooling has come along. But it's a terrible burden for someone who doesn't want to do it. And I think... Mm. And that and and is or actually isn't capable of doing it. And the thing is, you know, you know that there are a lot of people who have children who are not very bright or curious and wouldn't be good teachers, you know. And so uh, you you that's the the public school system serves such an important role and to bring all the people together, you know, and um, but but also just having the spaciousness like I look at we always keep out that thing that you gave to Cass as she was going off to college. Oh yeah, the um, the the placemat. The it's, yeah, it's like a laminated placemat with all these just like bits of wisdom that you wrote like, and drew and that, stuff. Yeah, and they're all like cute drawings, and it's just like any time you could just like look at that thing, and it's both sides. Yeah, it's a lot, and I'm like, wow, that's like that was something to pass on. If you had had cast ten years previous, would you have had that in you? Would you have Not lived the life? No, know? I wouldn't have any of that. And yeah. or very little of it. I wouldn't even think to do something like that. Yeah, I think what happens in those scenarios then is like what gets really passed along is like someone's set of fears and worries about the world. You know, when you don't have that spaciousness in your own life. And this is what, what capitalism does to people. They're, they're so forced to work. They don't have time to explore what their values really are. They don't even know what they're passing on to their kids besides their consumption habits. Well, I also think another thing can get passed along, which is worse, is the is the fear. Fear and stress because you think of the like our essential workers, right? Um, I mean, they've always been living, you know, fear and stress, paycheck to paycheck. And um, that's just morally wrong. Yeah. And their that's their kids are going to pick up on that. I read all the time about um, workers who work, you know, three shifts, and so they smoke because it keeps them helps them stay awake, and they, it keeps them from wanting to eat because they can't afford to eat all the time, and they don't have time to eat, and they're not allowed to eat. So they're going from maybe you know one fast food gig to another and stuff like that. Uh, and what 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 what's left for the children when they get home? You know, nothing. It's you're depleted. I can't even treat Sean nice when I'm tired. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and then if I think we're just in a place where Sean just said to me recently, he's like, "If we did have a kid, you know, we would just have to treat, you know, grade school or whatever like supplementary education, like that. You know, the what we're being taught is." Uh, that's like supplementary. Basically, we have to teach them at home to think critically or realize they're getting a version of reality. Yeah, I think that like that's one of the things that stresses me out about having a kid is like thinking about what inevitably they'd be plugged into. And, and it's like, fuck, how do you... And I think if you can impart on the kid 
that this thing that you go off to every day, like that's your supplementary education. We got your back in terms of knowing what the world is really about, how to handle things, you know, how to conduct yourself, your values, knowing about plants, knowing about medicine, knowing a critical view about what this country is really about. Cause you're not going to get any of that stuff in in a public school or i mean i don't know that's well, not part of any curriculum but, the, really. but there's so much that public schools do and yeah. um you know mathematics you might not want to teach that but that's uh, still yeah, important yeah. you know and so i think that what may happen is that instead of hiring a nanny you're hiring a teacher and so that you have someone who is comes in every day and is a private teacher for your child, or perhaps you get together with some neighbors or close friends, people in your quote-unquote bubble, and you have a teacher in a classroom of maybe five children or three children or something like that, and and you provide education, but not all of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could see that. I mean, yeah. we had, for years we had a nanny for Cass, and um, they, they, Valerie particularly, she taught you a lot, but she wasn't an educator. She was someone who taught you more, you know, just how to be chill. <laughs> yeah, it that worked. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's no one way to raise kids or have kids or one rule of, you know, I think we're all getting the maybe the what we need to be where we are and contribute how we contribute and... Yeah, you know, I think it is cool that to have the space to be thoughtful about that. But I think more, I th what we're collectively fighting for is society to support families and parents the way it is in more socialized countries. You know, where a mother has you know maternity leave and the father gets paternity leave, and and that there that it is we are supporting each other to raise our children in loving, happy homes because that helps all of us and we want to have uh not be burdened i mean the the burden that we put on people to work a certain amount of hours a week and commute to an office where they're probably not even as productive as they should be yeah i don't know i'm most productive the less i work a week not the more i work a week <laughs> the last uh sears store closed a few months ago or something like that and a lot was written at the time that um Sears was the last company that you could work at, buy a house, send your kids to college, all that, that they always uh, apparently paid a living wage. It was like people were loved the company so much. They could actually have a career. You could be like a guy selling furniture on the floor or something or running a little department, and you could, you could support your family. Mm -hmm. No wonder they went you out know, of business. <laughs> well, how could they? How could I they compete that, with Amazon, who pays slave wages? Well, right, exactly, and I think I think we do have to. I think we have to reckon with how we develop the society. I think when you know we built all the plants during the Industrial Revolution that polluted, and um, so we shut down the plants and outsourced everything instead of shutting down the plants and building environmental plants, mm. you know, and plants that were located maybe smaller and more diverse and you know maybe thought about how do we want to live as a society it just was like how do we make the most money and it was outsourcing but i think with the pandemic people companies are going to say we need to bring manufacturing back to this country and at least some of it and um 
and also have have that for workers, for people who must work with the machine or with their hands. Um, they need to have employment. And um, the pain that I feel knowing that that so many people can't get work that help that they can raise their families. That's insane. If you work a full-time job, you should be able to support a family. And, you know, Donald Trump always talked about let's make America great again. It always sounded like this 1950s dream. And the 1950s was a very segregated time. But, but I felt that he was also talking about a time when, when there was a different kind of prosperity, you know. It wasn't so striving. And he never really, I felt like he was getting to that. Not that I supported it because they saw him for what he was and knew him for what he was, I guess, having been in New York in the years and he was coming up but um that he he, i felt that there was something recognition of a simpler life of where things were here that the whole thing about bringing things back to america i felt spoke to that and i think that might have resonated with people who remembered when the food came from a farm the dairy you knew where the dairy was you know the guy the milk truck was a real thing like we had milk delivered that makes sense not everybody had a car so you had milk delivered you had food delivered you could it was it was actually freaking easier and you know and then what we did is sent women to work and told them that that's what they needed to do to be meaningful have a meaningful life as opposed to just say here's the choice and 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 it wound up that 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 we taught women and particularly women everyone really but particularly women that feeding your family is oppression and cooking is a form of oppression and meal planning and laundry and because the message to sell all the products that they were pushing into the pipeline was that you're being um, this is such a burden and will make your life easier and more convenient. Push button, push button, push button. And that, and that was, you know, a big thing. And I understand that part of the revolution with the, you know, uh, washing machines. And of course, who wants to be putting clothes through a ringer and all that stuff? So we went to the push button lifestyle, but we, we made some things that are so important to human nature and culture, like cooking and eating together. We made that something that became industrialized with McDonald's. And, and um, uh, I remember doing a group once um, uh, uh, for a food company and talking to young women about how they made dinner for their families and this one this is denver colorado this one woman she says oh my god i get off work i'm just so exhausted i'm already tired and i have to go to taco bell for one son because that's what he likes and then i go to mcdonald's for the other son because that's what he likes i go to whatever for my husband and then i go so she makes four stops and then they go home and you can just flash in your head on the styrofoam and paper and plastic and shit that is in the that's in the top on the middle of the table and they they eat and run and there's no community there's no wholesomeness there's no healthiness and i'm thinking to myself it takes her 40 minutes to make all those stops i'm thinking 40 minutes you could go to the store get some chicken breasts and some some salad greens saute the chicken breast put Mm. the salad on the plate bottle dressing and eat it and it would be a thousand times better yeah 
you know, and um, now it could be rice and beans. I mean, you know, thinking more vegan and stuff, but, <laughs> you know, still it's so simple and yeah. she made it so hard because she so believed that that was easier. And that's what America led her towards. Like, here's what's easier. And what's so interesting to hear from you as someone who did go the path of being a working uh, mom who did get support with raising me you know what I mean and because you were working and traveling and stuff that you recognize too that like that actually is important you know the the stay-at-home mom thing I mean every time that I like find myself in a role where I'm like taking care of a bunch of people and feeding and do clean and stuff like I'm like this is work like I should get paid for this this yeah. shit's hard you know what I mean not like it's oppressive necessarily but it is work you know what I mean and so we've gotten to this this world that uh that, that that work is not valued because it's not monetarily compensated. And I think that's also dangerous because we've put our value with like how many dollars are you getting for the particular thing and that it's not reflective of how we're seeing with essential workers. It's not reflective of how actually important the work that you do is. And um, yeah, it's a, it's the work that you've done throughout your career has, I think influenced me a lot with how I see the world and I almost wish that the insights that you got working kind of like behind the curtain with um in so many industries and with marketing and branding that I wish everyone could kind of get the download that I got or that you get from uh working for Coca-Cola and and working for these companies that you kind of like see what goes in to each like what it I mean, I feel like do you feel that the work that you did gave you kind of a behind the like curtain look and how you look at things? Well, sure. I mean, whenever I go to a doctor, I tell them I don't I I'm I'm it's it would be very difficult for you to get me to take a prescription drug just for any random thing because I know how the sausage is made. Mm. Okay? Like I know if I if I'm sick, I can take something, but when, when you're talking about something like um, anything for a, I don't have a chronic condition, but, but for example, like statins is a widely prescribed thing and blood pressure medication and stuff like that. The statins is, uh, they, the, the companies um, that, that make them, the pharmaceutical companies, set the bar really low for when a program, sh when you should start taking it, you know, and and so, because once you start, they've got you for life. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing. And, and I think that, um, I mean, I used to take Cassie into the store I and mean, go into the store and, and I would tell her the backstory of some things because I had worked on so much stuff. And um, so she never bought any of the messaging because she knew from as being a little girl that it was all bullshit yeah you know i told her what the lies were that there was it was she knew what positioning was and in a very real way as like a three four year old kid mm. that this is what they want you to believe not what it is and so you have to be careful <laughs> it reminds me of when i for, sean and i first started dating he was drinking a lot of snapple and it says on the snapple bottle made from the greatest stuff on earth made from the best stuff on earth <laughs> and i was like sean that's bullshit you yeah, have to I'm stop like, drinking that like garbage. i never even considered that snapple 
or Gatorade could be bad for you. Like I didn't <laughs> well, even consider the that. interesting thing about Snapple. This st- I worked on. I can't remember whether what, what whether it was Lipton or um, Tetley or whatever. But anyway, a tea, big tea brand, and um, basically, it must have been Lipton. Anyway, but basically, Lipton has like practically control of the commodities market. And I mean, look at how it used to be the brand. That's mm. what everybody drank and um or nesty nestle whatever there were a couple of brands and that was it and they got they and snapple there were other companies too ahead of it that have been around for a long time of course and snapple they were like an arriviste and mm-hmm. that's just like okay they got what was left over after nestle and lipton and every tetley bought the good stuff oh, wow. so snapple gets the rest of it and and when you're dealing with instant iced tea, that's the low end of the commodity market. That's not those tiny little tea leaves. Yeah. And so that's why Snapple was like cloudy. And it was the ad, I think it was the ad agency, and I don't remember who it was or anything, that said, let's just say it's made with the best stuff on earth. And I did focus groups with Snapple drinkers who that ring it forms at the bottom to them was a sign that it was a more natural tea. When wow. This, when <laughs> it's actually a sign that it's an inferior tea. I mean, similar true with Starbucks. I was just supposed to say, can you do Starbucks? Starbucks next. Star- I love when you do this. The Starbucks story, um, as I understand it, and you know, you'll probably get emails and letters or something, but um, that that there was a Starbucks, the one store in um, Seattle, and it was the same thing. It's like, you know, you don't get the pick of the best beans when you're one guy in a world of everybody, all these big companies, and so. Um, he got beans that weren't as good, and so he, in order to get them to taste better, he roasted, had to roast them longer. And so that's why this, like, dark, hearty, bitter roast is kind of a Starbucks signature. And, of course, they've gotten the best beans in the world, whatever. They probably control the market now. But um, the, the start came from making a, a unique, ownable taste positioning it as a signature premium thing when it was making the best of what they were able to access in the market and that's the power of positioning and advertising and it's why the consumer no matter how savvy is basically at the mercy of it oh absolutely and so you know I mean, we all fall for stuff I do all the time well well, look what's going on right now The, the the corporations are shivering in their boots over black lives matter and and basically this public mass awakening that's happening and they don't know what to do this is the most incredible thing i have seen in my life right i i think it's even because it's it's accelerated it's it's i mean the 60s i mean i remember the women's movement the environmental movement and the anti-war movement all happening at the same time but they were sort of almost then we had all the assassinations everything was canceling each other out in a way although it never went away it wasn't the focus of everyone's attention and the crackdown on drugs and stuff like that so a lot of stuff happened but now it's 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 the pennies have dropped in the white mind i that's unbelievable that that to that to to just really change the conversation about race in a way that they're like oh my god 
It was like what I said on the beach yesterday. It's like for all the times as a kid watching news and seeing black women crying about what a good boy their son was and the police just shot him in the back. And then you see the police saying what a record he had and he's a drug dealer and a rapist or a thug or whatever it was. And they're like, everybody's like, no, no, he was a good boy. And they're crying and it's just like, and you think, you're like, yeah, right. And now it's like, yeah, right. It's like we have institutionalized racial murder. We're paying these people mm. to to murder our neighbors and our co our coworkers, our friends. It's insane. And and the people that kill them tell us they were bad. Don't worry about it. And you know how many people really? If you, I mean, someone, I would like to know the answer to this question. I don't know it. How many people are related to someone who's in an interracial? relationship or marriage so that it's just sort of like the the, like the whole gay movement i think what really flipped that is enough gays coming out and people knowing like yeah but my neighbor my cousin my whoever the guy down the hall in the office my bartender whatever it is is gay and he's cool like you know they're a cute couple. Why can't they be in love, you know? And what the what happens with I think what happened with with gay culture in this country for so long it was so uh, feared and vilified and treated as a perversion that a lot of people acted in a perverted way. The culture had a lot of, and still does to some extent, but a lot less. I mean, the whole bathhouse scene and the glory holes and all that business and stuff, that that's what, you know, and the chains and, and whatever. And and it's like, I think, I think that that's because you treat somebody like they're a pervert. They're going to act like a pervert. You know what I mean? They start to believe the narrative. And now it's like you treat people like they're just like everyone else they pretty much behave like everyone else. So they, the gay, the gay men having babies. Who saw that coming? Oh my God! <laughs> I know so many men now with babies, and they're adorable. They're the cutest fathers. I mean, they're just the sweetest things. I mean, it's 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 who I just wouldn't have imagined it. And I think that now that so many people have worked with people of color and i mean i remember in business when i started having my the brand managers on different brands i worked on were african-american women like where did all that come from out of a sudden i went from working in offices that were 100 percent white to offices that were like my clients when i left advertising was still pretty much pretty much white still is but i <laughs> yeah. but it's like but 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 he, but then um, the agencies I worked with, I mean, I mean, working with Sterling and other agencies, it's like they were very diverse. Well, I, I think like one of the things we've run into that's so indicative of, of how widespread the racism is, is pretty much 100% of the jobs that we've done, the commercial jobs that we've gotten hired for, there is such a a thumb on the scale during casting towards uh, diversity. We need to represent diversity, 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 diversity. Meanwhile, they hired white people to make this. 
every person that's handing down these edicts are white. Yeah. There's no, there is no diversity in this advertising agency whatsoever. There's no diversity within the corporate structure of their client. And they've hired white people to do this, but we got to get diversity, diversity, diversity. So we cast it. And what do they inevitably do? They want those people to play out stereotypes because they don't understand. They don't know what's going on. They haven't lived a life around this thing. So they just want to use their black body to say, look how poor people live. And we've run into this where we're like, they're not poor. And not only that, if they were, would it be our business to play that up for your little ad? Right. It is so fucking despicable. Oh, yeah. We had one woman say like, hey, can we get them to change their jackets? They just look, it looks a little too nice. And we're like, this is talking about little girls. too." I basically walked off that job. I was like, I'm not doing this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that's been part of black culture forever in this country that they that they that there's an effort made to first of all there's the creativity and but but there's also um not wanting to be seen as a thug or whatever to dress yeah. nice so that that people aren't going to think that and I think that um I mean I think black people have consistently had such great style in this country and gosh when Cass and I went to Africa, the the white women were the were the frumps. Those, <laughs> yeah. those black women were like that we worked with in that project were like queens. They were gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they were unbelievable. And whether they were wearing traditional African attire or whether they were wearing um, dress suits and stuff like suits that. or whatever, but mostly I mean, but the hair and the skin, the beauty of the skin. Like, you know, I'd give anything for that. And that's the thing we have to understand is that this, I mean, I remember the Black is Beautiful movement. I think I was in high school. And um, that was a big thing, you know, Afros and, and all that to say we're beautiful. And white people didn't think black people were beautiful usually. Um, and... Um, you know, the sh- the lips and the nose and the, the body shapes and stuff like that. And that was a great message because I think it really did get to people a lot of, certainly did me to think about beauty can look, be different things. And, um, and I think that's a great like activist kind of line is when it really does challenge you to to break the paradigm and black lives matters is even better oh yeah you know i mean that was a fucking genius uh line and and um you know getting through the all lives matter versus black lives matter conversation everyone has to go through that even someone who is really quote unquote woke everyone has to go through that and because because it's your first Almost everyone's first reason. When you say Black Lives Matter, yeah, all lives matter. But wait a minute. Okay, now we have the conversation. It's like, why do you have to say Black Lives Matter? Because they're treated like they don't. And let's let's you know let's let's really wrap our head around that. And if you don't believe it, we've got some video footage that will make you very uncomfortable. And that is what's changed the world. Thank God for the iPhone for that and that alone. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, And I think that's why right now um, advertisers and brands are resp- 
bonding with just changing optics and kind of what Sean was talking about is all about optics. It's, it's, yes, I agree with calling for the end of, uh, Aunt Jemima being used as a symbol, but I saw, um, someone post about like, it's so classic America to, to think we can just remove this symbol, but not look at how there's brown, uh, food dye, uh, high fructose corn syrup, and uh, like whatever additives that they put in that and that we're actually killing people we're feeding with this, but we're not going to look at that. We're just going to look at the optics of it and think that that's what we're doing and not go to the deeper levels right now of. Because we, they can't. That's the whole thing like that. They, they can't. They have to do this like dithering around on the surface level like, oh, cool. You know, we'll, we'll name a street Black Lives Matter. We got you covered. We're going to fire and cancel Aunt Jemima. We're gonna replace uh, the the uh, the the white actors that voice black characters in cartoons, like all this stuff, and and we're like, yeah, no one was really demanding any of that. Right. What we're demanding is actually so much deeper, bigger, bigger that yeah, they can't even go near that elephant in the room no. because that elephant in the room is is the capitalist it's structure gonna, that keeps it's us gonna all separate. Cost, it's going to cost the money. Oh, yeah. Well, the whole thing starts, to, the, the pyramid scheme you, that we all live in starts you, to be exposed. You have to get to reparations. Yeah. You have to get to reparations and in, in, in the labor that built this country was stolen labor. On stolen land. On stolen land. And... We can't go on like that as a country. No. We can't go on like that as people. And we do have to make amends. It's killing us. It's killing us. That's why the reckoning is coming. It's so, well, we're in that moment now. And to hear people like yourself say this blows away anything I've seen in my life, because like we all say like, oh, this is like probably how it was in 1969. This is probably how it felt, uh, you know, the 68, you know, uh, election. I don't know. No. I think that nothing's ever really been like this in this country. It, it, it's different to me in that I feel like you could argue that a lot of what was happening in the 60s was strictly youth and more radicals driven. And this feels like it's everyone. Yeah. I mean, why was there, why were there so many enormous street demonstrations in Europe, Australia, you know, New Zealand, all over the world. Because we're sick. For a, an, a, 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 an American event that happens every week, practically. <laughs> or every, I mean, some people might say every day. I don't know what the statistics are. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's we're living in a sick society, and if you haven't woken up to it yet, uh, now would be the time. Um, yeah, I mean, it reminds me, too, of, I mean, this doesn't remind me of it, but talking about the sugar reminded me of wait, <laughs> what also happened in the state, and putting money in the, the, the money first is what you saw happen with because you worked on beverages, on, on, on sodas and that sort of stuff, and you kind of saw a shift happen when we went from cane sugar. Well, I can certainly talk to that because I worked in a Coca-Cola agency when they changed from cane to high fructose corn syrup. And um, I wasn't 
working on a big soft drink then, but um, but I was working on a number of different products and that were affected. Um, and so the question was raised, and I, I, I feel like I asked it, maybe somebody else asked, it doesn't matter. It's like, is it metabolized the same? Is there any difference between high fructose corn syrup and sugar? It's just, it's such a huge change for a company like Coca-Cola to change such an important ingredient. It's like all the caloric content in the product is sugar. Mm -hmm. So if you change that ingredient, you're fundamentally changing the product. So the question was, does it metabolize differently in the 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 person who answered the question um, said, "Sugar is sugar. It's exactly the same." And then I was, I mean, I was already doing focus groups for the agency, and um, about a year later, um, people were heavier. And it showed in the focus groups. And so what would happen is, and then I went out on my own. This is when I went out on my own. And, they, and the clients would say, um, we'd have eight women around a table, say, or women and men, whatever it was, to talk about whatever product. It doesn't matter. And they'd say, um, this isn't our consumer. Our, our consumer doesn't look like that. There's something wrong with the recruit. I go, well, what's the problem? They all use your product. They're very knowledgeable about it, blah, blah, blah. They, you know... Um, they're not ringers, they're not misrecruits, I can tell. And they go, well, we've just never, you know, our, our, our consumer is not overweight. And so then what happened, I heard that of several times, and then I would prove to them, I'd take them through the screeners and stuff and, and try to prove to them that they were not misrecruited. So then the clients started asking me and other moderators to have the recruiting at the end of a question, you take them through consumer through a three-page questionnaire on attitude and usage of a category or product or brand, whatever it is. And then at the end, they wanted to say, well, just ask a question. Are you within 10 pounds of your ideal weight? And then terminate the interview, which may have taken 40 minutes if they said no. And the facilities, bless their little hearts, pushed back and said, I'm not going to get a qualified respondent and, re and refuse them on weight. That's ridiculous. I won't do that. That's just wrong. And I, it's going to destroy my relationships with people and everything else. So they wouldn't do it. <laughs> they don't hesitate to ask, though. And um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say nobody would do it, but um, it just, and then it became a very normal thing that people, you would walk into a group and people were ob obese, you know? And so I, it was the, sh it was, it was the sugar, <laughs> as it turns out. Oh, of course. Yeah, and it was it in everything, everything, but not just you know coke or whatever it was in everything everything yeah i mean saving money because it was a bottom line issue the reason that there was a big shift to high fructose corn syrup and that that uh ended up poisoning people and is poisoning people and creating unhealthy diets i mean it just uh it, it just it's so insidious you know kind of what goes on and how it happens and how we i love to think the best in people like i'm i'm a super gullible person I love to think that uh, every everyone has be their best intentions, and I also and I and I still believe that, and I think there is a way to justify that. You know, 
the, the way our companies are set up and the way society is set up is that, you know, people are just trying to do their top priority, which is get money for their shareholders, like their, or, or, and for their fa- family, like they're doing their best job given what their priorities are, but who pays the cost? And it is finding that, <laughs> that, that we do pay the cost. And I mean, it also reminds me of how, um, you know, you worked on Perrier and bottled water and that wasn't even that wasn't even a thing like that like bottled water is now so ubiquitous and there was a time before bottled water there was in a our time, life yeah there was a time before bottled water in our life where most municipalities had decent water but also um the bottled water some people did drink bottled water it was kind of like health a health nut thing it was french poland spring did exist um and um, it, it was a more in Euro- Europe, and their different attitude about health and the environment there. But um, so Perrier and Evian were things there. But um, yeah, I worked. I worked on the. I worked on Perrier as a new brand, and um, you know, my friend Barbara, you know, created, you know, st- all those marketing genius. Uh, promotional tactical strategic things that got perrier in the hands of everyone overnight every restaurant bar and everything and it became a thing that you know people drinking perrier cocktails and uh and it was you know kind of aligned with business practices be sharper it was the health rising health craze so that you're healthy and um you know uh drinking water instead of alcohol all the time is part is to contributes to that so it was really and then to see like just it sweep the country you know and some places had bottled water and still do that because the groundwater is poor like in florida particularly um the you know the water tastes awful because it's so close to the surface of the ground and it's hot it smells bad it smells bad it's just awful water Yeah. yeah Well, it's just so interesting because we're talking about something, a product that came in and the idea is to, for it to make you healthier. But think about how much waste was created through this healthier product and this healthier alternative where instead of, I, I'm just, yeah. I think it's just like important to bring to light and think critically about the healthy products, the unhealthy products, the 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 Coca-Cola that's supposed to make you happy. <laughs> it's like pretty much anything that you're... Uh, paying for or that has a, a marketing team and a branding department and a social media it's like it's so important that we think critically and have agency over our own best interests because companies unfortunately or fortunately just because you just know they don't have your best interests in mind no they're 100 percent about profit yeah, and 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 they they've duped us. They 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 really have the perfect consumers in America, because we're so prone towards blaming each other. We're so used to to pointing the finger, and having justification to do that, and um, feeling righteous about that. That when we do see a whole generation all of a sudden gain weight in a way that like, come on, look at pictures from. Look at pictures from the 50s. Look at pictures from the 60s. It ain't like it is today. And we'll blame each other. We'll say, well, come on. Why can't you control yourself? Why can't? Because I got addicted to Coca-Cola when I was fucking seven years old. And I don't know. Or or you're overworked and you want easier uh, meals. So you're eating uh, TV dinners, which are loaded with sodium and sugar. Yeah. You know, so that they're addictive. And and everything that's cheap and, and available 
is terrible for you. And for, for uh, I think for immigrants who want to embrace the American dream and feel like part of our culture, I, I think that um, they were very much targeted by the fast food and soft drink industries. And, um, and, and I think that there's an idealism about America for immigrants that extends a lot to advertising messaging and makes them vulnerable um, because they're also very busy working very hard. So when you see a fast food company's ad that says that breakfast, lunch, and dinner at our place is the way to live the American dream or to have this bottle of whatever fizzy water on your sugar table, um, sugar water on your table is, is, is a good thing. And you add all that up and, and it's, and I remember doing um, some focus groups and uh, on, uh, on some on coke years ago um and talking to kids and um seeing what the equity was in old advertising and um uh one of the things that shocked me is how that they never had milk on the table they had coke because the three liters were so cheap and then milk is really expensive milk was always subsidized to be really cheap i don't know what happened to that but the the cost of of healthy food has gotten so astronomically high that you you can't blame people for buying they have to they have to deliver enough calories to their family and um they have to buy the cheap calories because the healthy calories are exorbitant absolutely exorbitant you see what we pay at the farmer's market for microgreens and arugula and stuff like that um it's 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 nuts it's it's nuts that food is so expensive that's local and fresh and that stuff that's industrialized i mean it's like why i don't understand why that can't the the it it just i feel like we're on the cusp of something where there's going to be uh ways that things like are really growing and healthier and there's got to be a different different distribution network or something i don't know well it becomes it, it, i think it becomes this concept of hyper localization and that first of all starting with your body and your soul and getting those things straight and learning how to take care of your temple but then that extends out because uh, i think the healthiest thing that most people could be doing for their bodies is eating what could grow locally wherever they're they're living so i think the future is that is like everyone that lives in this complex working together to grow your own food and looking after each other and maybe sharing a couple cars and maybe saying um all of us collectively like we don't need to travel as much well, we don't need to be running around doing all this kind farming, of stuff as much. Farming is extremely labor-intensive work. And, you know, we're retired, but any community, like, you, I mean, we still need doctors and uh, yeah, you know, all absolutely. that. And um, uh, uh, so, uh, you know, yes, I think that, I think that there's got to, whether it's bartering or, I mean, I, I do think things like are ha the the farmers market revolution, the CSAs and all that is huge now. That's a huge, huge thing. O organic is huge. I mean, the Common Ground Fair, which happens every year here in Maine, um, the organic farm movement really started here. Is um, uh, emblematic of that. It's become just like this huge, huge, wonderful thing. Uh, so a lot of stuff is going in the right direction.
it's it's just it's really exp it's like I think it's you buy with your you you vote with your pocketbook they always say vote at, vote at the poll you do but you vote it you vote with your pocketbook like I started organic milk organic eggs organic you know chicken and everything when cows was little and just um over really really expensive at Belducci's and everything they said this is a vote I'm doing this to vote you know, to because if if we don't buy it, the people who can afford it, then it'll never it'll never get affordable to other people. And now there's organic food in Walmart, and yeah. so uh, and and Shaw's has. Well, who it knows what organic even means anymore? Yeah, Walmart probably had some <laughs> lobbyists swoop in and and lower the bar for what organic even and, means. And that's why there's like so much stuff that's there's so much that we're ripe for change, but it's so clear that it's it's required that. It changes at home, but it also changes taking money out of politics because because of the power that the lobbyists have to to make sure that, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, it goes from everything from Oxycontin to, you know, which which farm farmers we subsidize. Um, there's a uh, there's a lot that um, needs to change and that we can all participate in and I think with us this pandemic has kind of opened up space for us to realize and I mean I'm trying to see the beauty in us not having health care if it could like wake people up I really want everyone to have health care I think it's cruel and inhumane that we don't have health care in this country that said even our health care system as it stands is more of a sick care system which I know I'm stating the obvious but realizing that how valuable and important our health is and that with this like mass uh access to information that we can see that you know there are certain foods that you can eat that make you healthier and that 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 do work better with our bodies and that we no one's going to do it for us and that we have to be responsible to to make sure that we fight for our own health but then fight for the health of other people too and and like you said access to healthier food uh i think small farms should be subsidized um well this is this is the thing like as we all wake up i think the corporations that have been poisoning us and exploiting us are going to be the odd man out you would hope oh they're going to be and they're going to fight and, and it's it's going to be, uh, you know, the fight of our generation and probably a few after to try to dismantle this craziness. If the if the Democrats blow this. They already I, did. Well, <laughs> look who their nominee is. <laughs> well, I understand that, but I, I do understand. Well, it, I'm not going to concede that yet. I He wasn't at, he was my last choice, as I've <laughs> always said. But if it's. If 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 Joe Biden gets a landslide and Trump is out, um, and that's what it took, that's what it took. But that absolutely can't be life as normal. And he has got Biden. The Democrats must understand that there will be a fucking revolution if they don't take advantage of the full sweep that's heading this way, heading their way. Yeah. Well, I mean, no making nice. Do they don't. They don't plan to. Because they're not even putting forward any policies, let alone progressive policies. I mean, I think that what's happening with Sean and I, where we've become, I mean, more and more disappointed. Not that we didn't start already disappointed with the Democratic Party, but <laughs> right. Uh, it just it, it feels like even we're at this time where Biden's falling to the right of Trump on certain issues, and 
I'm certainly not, foreign policy on foreign policy and that sort of thing and um that doesn't mean i think trump is a better candidate i think he's a racist bigot asshole and i think he's incredibly dangerous and he should not be in office but um yeah we just i have a question yeah i, I definitely would rather take this in another direction than talking about joe biden yeah because this speaks to who you've become what your guys relationship is and everything but so what changed? Because the first time that we took acid, you and I, we were like four hours into the trip and we went to go outside. And as we were going out the door, you ran back inside and you wrote on the cover of one of our books, stay out, mama. Like, don't take, don't let your mom take acid. Right. And so that was five, six years ago. And then without any hesitation, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. Without any hesitation, you sent her, you sent her the acid and like, Excuse yeah. me, I I said I specifically requested it as a as yeah. a, as as something I, I told a Mother's Day gift. A Mother's Day <laughs> gift, yeah. Like if you're thinking, I mean, like don't yeah. don't send flowers. Mm. So what changed? Could. Why did I want to yeah. do that? Yeah. I never didn't want to do it. Mm. I mean, it wasn't. Um, Well, that's actually an interesting question because I'm trying to think if you ever had offered it to me before. I don't think you had. And so I asked for it. It's just so heavy that we wouldn't, like, that's not the thing we go around necessarily offering to people. Well, you, uh, no, we but you did it. offer me mushrooms, yeah. and I think the mushrooms were much heavier. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, one, I knew I wasn't going to be giving mom as big of a dose as I took that time to... I realized that I was at a better place to help her if she had a difficult experience. Mm. And three, I think it was my own fear. And also just realizing that I didn't offer, I didn't, if mom in her last house or where she was living before this or before that or before that was like, hey, I want to take some acid. I'd probably be like, it's not that good of an idea because set and setting is so important. And there were, I think you were maybe less satisfied with, your life and where you want it to be. And I, I don't know if acid precipitates the change, but it makes you reflect on where you're at. And uh, you're in obviously such a good place and we have such good acid. So it didn't, I didn't hesitate now. I really um, wanted it in part as my journey as an artist. Mm. I wanted, I wanted to look at my art, while I was tripping, which yeah. I did. And um, that was awesome. To see if there was any big whack on the side of the head or anything <laughs> like that. But uh, um, yeah, I don't, I, I liked it. I had a great time. I didn't, I, it, it was, uh, I, but I felt like I was very identifiably me all day. And very capable. Like the only thing I wasn't good at is like kitchen stuff. But yeah, um, I could get. I did the hula hoop after like what, <laughs> yeah. an hour or something. You took that better than I've ever taken any of these. I kind of felt like I got early on that I didn't want to sink into it. I wanted to like be more active through it. That was a good call. So getting up and doing the hula hoop which was really fun. Um, that was I think two hours after you took it. I was like, wow. Yeah, I thought that was a really what I needed 
instead yeah. of sinking down. Mm. And then we had so much fun. I mean, yeah. going to the beach and uh, going out in the meadow and just blowing bubbles and all that. I thought it was just really, really great fun listening to great music, making art. Yeah. You did the your uh, Church of Chill. Oh, yeah. That and Kaz and I casted that beautiful painting and... You know, it just felt very natural and calm. And I never, ever, ever expected it to get weird because, <laughs> in part because of how good my life is and where I'm at right now, and because also I think you guys are in such a good place right now. And uh, so all of us were like, I mean, we're in the coast of Maine, we're in those beautiful places. Um, and uh, what, you know, as long as we don't turn on the news, we'll be cool. Yeah, that would have been a bad call. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was just such one of those, it was just one of those, like, like you were saying, you're like, I'll always remember this day. And I was like, yeah, it's like, it's one of those things. And it, um, and I think you commented on this a few times throughout the day in various ways that like, that this became stigmatized, like that experience, the amount of fear that was like projected onto that experience compared to what the experience actually is like it's a dead giveaway that they're hiding something you know <laughs> well you know when i took it in high school it was like you know summer love kind of thing right it was that whole time and um and then it's just like the just the the crackdown yeah and i remember i even i did research because i I, I did research in, on LSD, and I got spent time in the library. I did a term paper on LSD, and it was all about birth defects, psychotic episodes. Hmm. It was scary stuff. And, um, I, I mean, I didn't believe it all because I know that they had done that with marijuana too. And... Um, but still, it's scary. I mean, the birth defect thing is the scariest in in a way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad I didn't even know about that one. I, <laughs> I mean, I think also what we did is mom watched several movies on Netflix. You know what I mean? There's so much media right now that destigmatizes the making of LSD, the culture around LSD, the effects of LSD. So many people have done it and not given birth to babies with birth defects. You've seen me take it for several years and and in a lot of ways I think you've seen it improve my life or at least not hurt it, um, which probably helps. Hmm. And also you're at that stage in life where you did the work. You, 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 I mean, did the work on yourself to be in a place where you're doing what you want to do, like art every day, but you also worked uh to the place where you can now live in a really good situation and you kind of like set yourself up and so you're actually in a really positive place prime candidate prime candidate yeah when i was in college i remember you know i knew hippies and i had a hippie boyfriend and whatever and um but i i had a sense of there were the there was the path that diverged and what we en ended up calling yuppies is one path and hippies are not, really wasn't hip, more like burnouts was the other path. That seemed to be the path because I saw a lot going on with people who were heavy into drugs. There was not very 
aspirational. Let's put it that way. You know, they lived in dirty places. They seemed like just sitting in the dark, stoned out. I told you about the woman who had her toddler smoking pot while he was in diapers. Um, I, you know, I was there. They, the people that I knew that were uh, in, really involved in stuff, they were they were kind of losers. Well, I think that's what I think what we've come to realize through time is that a lot more people than you know do drugs, but the ones that you think of as doing drugs are the ones who wear it, and those are the ones that maybe aren't in the best situation with uh, their home life or whatever it is. And that... I didn't know artists then either. It's like I was then, I had made my decision. I was going, I I knew as I was getting close to leaving college, I, w I knew I wanted a career. I knew I didn't want to just get married and have kids and whatever. I wanted to be part of this women's movement thing. I I, I wanted to be kind of hot shit in some way. And I, 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 I jumped off track and out of fear and got married didn't work, got myself together, and then, you know, I mean, I, I, I did work I didn't even know existed and had a huge career with it, so it's like I had to find myself and find my path, and I did, and I'm not sorry about the way I did it, you know, but I, I really chased, I chased money, and, and also I loved what I did, I loved my work, and I was really, really proud of it until I, until I, I, I started understanding that that the consumer really couldn't except for the most enlightened educated person couldn't really see what what we were doing because we we're all so good at our jobs all the all the people who do the the positioning and work and, and the advertising people the marketing people are really really good it's very psychological stuff well, well it, i mean because it you can make so much money on that trajectory i mean they scoop up the kids from the art schools and and the creative minds and now especially they get scooped up because they have there's no other choice you mean you have to pay off your student debt you know um you kind of have to enter the system and the truth is we do need products and brands and and it is there is a pleasure to going and buying something and you know, you buy a car and you buy your BMW, you do get the thrill of whatever that high-performance machinery delivers. You know, that is at some level real, too. I mean, I mean, a lot of it's, I mean, right? I mean, it's a position, yeah, but there's something. I think the something. psychedelics wear away at it because, like, Cass and I, it's so funny because, like, we're, like, we have Carrie in our life now who is very much, like, drawn to those things and almost can manifest them because she wants them. And we don't want those kind of things. I'm like, why? I didn't want them before psychedelics. I don't though. know why. Yeah, I never <laughs> really never cared. wanted any. Cass never wanted Cass. She doesn't wear brands. She does like she. No. So well, you I was. Well, we never. <laughs> she did. said. She always said, "Don't be a walking advertisement." Yeah. There yeah. you go. Um, was never greedy. She could have been. We had. There was a period of time there where we had a, a really quite a bit of money. And she could have been a greedy, give me, buy me, I want girl. And she never did it. And so we would, the, the torture every year was my mom would say, give me Cassie's list for Christmas. I mean, the day that Cassie ever writes down a list of stuff she wants other people to get her is like never. Yeah. So uh, I'd <laughs> exactly. say, Cassie, what do you want for Christmas? And she, I'll never forget this. And she would say this every year, but I remember the first time she goes, 
Mommy, you and Daddy get me everything that I need. I really, you know, I have everything. I don't need anything for Christmas. Well, that's true. I was an only child, and I probably did get everything I needed, especially when what I mostly need is cheese and whatever. But she cheese didn't. and love. And cheese then, and love. And I would, say, I would say, do you want me? She's a little kid now. I said, do you want a video game player? Like one of those, whatever they were. Oh, yeah. Xbox. The Game was, Boy. The Game, whatever. <laughs> no, not the little thing. She had that stuff, but I'm talking about like. Oh, the big one. Yeah, the big okay. one. And she says, no, I don't think that would be a good idea. I play like that Grand Theft Auto or something at Laura's. So this was in high school. And if I had that, I'd never do anything else. So don't get it for me. Whereas most kids would say, yeah, I want that. <laughs> of course, yeah. Cass is very aware of she's her, those behaviors. Like, of, the ba- of setting her own boundaries. She's like, I can't watch TV. Like, she set her own boundaries as growing up. Yeah. So we, she was never had to be disciplined. No, that's not true. There was a period where I wasn't allowed to watch television. The only channel I was allowed to watch was the Weather Channel. Because you overdid it. Because I overdid it. Well, we did have a, a chore star chart, with, and she'd have to earn tickets and she could watch only, you know, here's, uh, mom, can I have three tickets? Or here's three tickets. I'm going to go watch half an hour or whatever it is. <laughs> oh, I don't even remember the tickets. Yeah, system. that was, we had this a very elaborate system that you, that you worked for your TV time. I don't even remember that. Isn't, that's so funny. Wow. Yeah. I just thought I watched too much TV and then you guys made me not allowed to watch TV. I anymore. think it's when you really were in school. Yeah. You know. I love TV. TV's great. But I hate it. Like, oh, if I started yeah. it in the morning, if I watch TV first thing in the morning, I might as well not do anything the rest of the day. It gets me. It's like smoking weed when you wake up. Some people, it just doesn't sit well with them. A lot of people use it. I think most people use it as a drug. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the whole thing that they said when I was little and TV first happened was that it was the boob tube. I mean, it is. Yeah. It is. I mean, I've really thought about that now that I consume less, got rid of cable and everything. Um I'd like some of that time back that I spent watching stupid shit on television. That's what people are going to say it's about social media. Yeah. Yeah. I want that time back. I think we're doing a lot of... Uh, there's. <clears throat> I, I think one of the things in the, that the general public needs to understand is that we're all addicts. That's, yeah. And that the nature of what is the nature of addiction and what are triggers and how does how can you recognize addiction? So it may not be alcohol, it may not be drugs, it may not be gambling, it may not be sex. Those are the big baddies, you know. But it sure could be social media. It could be sitting in front of the television. It could be Those are things we cheer on actually. They're the thing right, exactly. It could be work. It could be uh, you know Yeah, you get likes for being a social media it addict. Could, <laughs> it, it, could, it could be golf. I mean, mm-hmm. Don, our president is addicted to golf. Like and Kentucky fried chicken. And he should do some reflection on what are the things that are triggering his need to play besides he's just working too hard. I mean, there's something else that's going on in his mind it's it's the, he wants to beat people and he cheats he's like a known cheater at golf like i always said that's like it's just a such a dead giveaway about what type of person he picked he up a child's ball <laughs> that was in the there was the, the, he, he he swapped balls with the child because the because he the kid had a better lay see i don't yeah i wouldn't put that past them and that was pretty recently i read there was a sports illustrated story it's that so somehow i saw on twitter about 
about there's the reporter i guess played with him and his kid played along and and he needed did a thing to this little kid it's just like really a malevolent human being really a mentally ill person somebody should give donnie some lsd I I think that Imagine. I think I think he's pat you know he can't do it because you you can't do it without consent you know that successfully you just can't no I know and but what do you think it would be like if he did if he said fine I'll I'll do I'll do an LSD trip he, he, he might be kicking and screaming no he wouldn't but I think that I think it depends on how much because a certain amount you can reinforce your ego you kind of have to like take enough to like break through the veil you think a guy like that would be relieved i think it's the children i think the children you look at how fucked up they are Mm. and uh, i think the books that the family writes after he croaks are going to be real interesting yeah yeah oh i don't know i don't know they love it they love the position that daddy's gotten them in and and the power and no i don't think they do i think that I th- uh, well, um, maybe they do. They don't. They don't have a choice now because they've, they're pariahs. They're social pariahs by the people that that used to matter to them. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, Ivanka was friends with Chelsea Clinton. Yeah. Well, th- I think that more speaks to how horrible Chelsea Clinton is than how they good Ivanka. They deserve each other. <laughs> they deserve Trump each is. other for sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't know. Like, I don't think anyone is like this. Like inherently evil like i just choose not to believe that but i i think we reward a system that is evil and that's that's where i hope things yes. to shift where we're we're stepping out of the age of like rewarding people for dominating each other and we reward them for loving each other and being compassionate and supporting each other it's just uh, hopefully our reward system can shift we need a path for reconciliation um and I think we have to, when this trauma of Trump is over, have to find provide that path for people who were his supporters. Because That's be tricky. they're going to be really dangerous people if we don't, if we, if there isn't a way to bridge the divide that's so extreme, you know. And I hate to say that, but I do think that, I mean. When I see these people that are so hateful, um, what is their pain? What What is their pain? Um, I don't think I'm satisfied that it's one thing, you know, but I think that one of the things I think we're all getting the sense of now with so many awful things that have happened to so many people from so many quarters is that there are so many humans that are abused Mm -hmm. and that their lives are lives of abuse. And the abuse can come from a parent, a neighbor, and I'm not, it can be sexual abuse or psychological or otherwise, but there's all the schools and churches and we have institutionalized abuse with the correction system. And we have also institutionalized racial war, which I think we really have got to talk about as a society, the way that the segregation is in prisons and, and, and it's just basically gangs. And those people get out, and and then they're they're, they're at war with each other. It just doesn't make sense. And none of this makes sense. We're in the church abusing children, and oh, you know, you can't not paying people a living wage is not abuse. paying a, but the way people can't live and have to work 
so many jobs and and then deny them health care and and like the whole thing the hypocrisy of our crops harvesting you know you have to have these have people come into the country illegally or on whatever kind of condition in order to get the food that we eat out of the ground and and then to punish them by saying you can't have health care here or you can't be educating or your you kids have, or yeah, whatever you have it to is. You pay taxes, but you can't get any of the benefits yeah, of those taxes. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's insane. We are an insane country right now. There are pockets of beauty and grace and everything. And they're like, I'm grateful to live here because like, for example, like they say that Maine, the way life should be. And um, some people will even say, yeah, there's no black people here. And there's, that's largely true. But what most people mean by that is, um, it's just like when you go to the dump, I love going to the dump because you sort the trash down to the smallest thing and every little thing. And it makes you so hyper aware of this, of the waste you're creating. And, um, it should, that's just one example, and the dump and the dump is overlooking a harbor. <laughs> you know, it's like really, it's it's beautifully done and organized, and and then the stuff like just buying fish off of a boat from a guy who caught it. You know, there's a lot of things like that that feel very natural, and um, the whole small farm movement that is so big here and everything makes it possible for us to have flowers and greens that you can't get everywhere. Isn't it kind of crazy and cosmic that like your mom was born off an island? My, not, my grandmother. Your grandmother was born off an island not too far from here. Five miles. Yeah that's just so crazy that you ended up here of all places you know and when I was here I felt it like it felt like we're supposed to be here. Like we're, we're like salmon. I, I, when I came to Maine for the first time now, it's probably 12, 14 years ago, um, on a vacation with my friends. And um, the very first day I was in this area of Maine, mid-coast, I was saying to um, Kathy, who was hosting, um, how much would a house cost? What about that? What about that? Like right away, I was feeling like this is it. And I, it just got stronger for me the more I came here. And I felt that the, to me, it was like a recognition. And I guess what I glommed onto was the 19th century architecture, but I really think it's something like the smell. Mm. And um, that that might be like, like salmon have it to get back to their ancestral stream. Maybe we have that too. Absolutely. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be <clears throat> something like, I mean, if I go yeah. to Ireland or Poland, am I going to be like, this is it? I don't know. I had a strong pull when we went to Africa, though. I was like, I could buy a little house here. Well, so, well, you're a far descendant from that, but as we all yeah, are. How, but, how far back do you want to go? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> go all the way <laughs> yeah exactly well that gives you the ultimate compassion you're like oh i am every one of these motherfuckers believe it or not yeah yeah well that whole thing with looking at cassie's face happened again yesterday oh that can happened. you explain that yeah when i uh, did the mushrooms um i had this very strong hallucination i was sitting opposite cassie and her face would transform um just like a slide dissolve 
from male to female, every race, every like beautiful, ugly, you name it, like weird hair. It was just like, it was still, but it's still essentially her somehow. And I wasn't even like doing that mindful sitting opposite you, looking at you yesterday. You were just lying there and I'm looking at you and I'm like, oh man, your face is doing that same thing. (laughs) It's just like, and then I said to her, it's like, it's just that whole thing where I see all of humanity in my daughter. Because when, I mean, you like I've seen you with dreadlocks as a man with dreadlocks and black skin. And I've seen you like look like, um, oh, I don't know, some sort of greeting card, Irish elfy kind of no <laughs> thing, you know. I've said every you name it. It's like everything, and it's like it's so just. I mean, I look at her and I can't. It's it's hard because I know she's looking at me as mom, and I'm looking at her cycling through like all the races, genders, you name it, you know, existence of, it's weird. And it just goes, just, 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 it's dissolved. I remember in the mushrooms, you were saying she looked goth, like she looked like a goth chick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all tattooed and everything and stuff. Well, what's the message of that? I, well, to me, it just is that, that all of humanity is in all of us. It's just that I feel that so strongly when I look at Cassie. And that my question to myself, my insight with the mushroom trip was, why is it so easy to see that with my daughter, but not with everyone I meet? And that's the challenge, I think, for us in Black Lives Matter and any looking at healthcare, anything that requires any kind of compassion and humanity, is to say, when you look at your child, you understand that you share DNA. And the thing is, we all share DNA. We all share stardust, whatever it is, right? We all share DNA, and our challenge is to see that in everyone. And so Cassie, in, to my mind, is showing me that and showing me that that is possible. And I do feel that I see and feel that with people and um, more than a lot of people do, and I'm not perfect. That is for damn sure and, you know, I have shame over stuff I've done in my life, but um, I feel that I can see people and connect with people, and that's what partly what made me good at my work, you know. I think that's partly why these psychedelics are so threatening to to the system because they do dissolve those boundaries and you do enough of them and you start to honor because because that's what we mean when we say we're living a psychedelic lifestyle people are like oh you're taking acid all the time it's like not really we're when we take it it's very intentionally and we listen to it and it shows us kind of the high watermark of who we could be and how we could behave and that we are everyone and how to live in accordance with that is really up to us and that's the fun part. That's where you become the art and your life is, is reality just paints through you. And I think too, like, you know, to your question about why do it now and all that stuff, I think that with so much going on in the world, I mean, you guys have whacked me on the side of the head a few times with some of your kooky stuff. <laughs> and so, um, uh, you know, thruppling. Yeah. Thruppling <laughs> and, 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 you know, toad and this and that. And like, 
and, yeah. and it can get scary as a, as a parent. Quest. But then I look at the world and what's happening in the world and how we as a society somehow deserve the president we currently have. It's sort of like in advertising, yeah. there's a thing that is always said is that a client gets the advertising they deserve. So that if they if it ends up being a shitty ad, it's because you were a shitty client, you know, because the because you looked at a lot of concepts that were a lot better. That's for damn right, sure. Right. And you just wouldn't you wouldn't buy it. Yeah. You wouldn't see it. You know, you wanted the shitty ad. And so we gave it to you. You wore us down. And I think I think that's what happened with Trump. You know, yeah. we got the president we deserve so that we can take a look in the mirror and 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 then to go to Biden. Biden is, I think, a placeholder until we figure out what we want. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I think yeah. he's a safe placeholder, which is why I'm not yeah. willing to concede that he's the wrong choice. Because certainly the polling numbers are so fantastic right now. Well, the polling numbers were fantastic for Hillary, but I think what we've found and what I appreciate and Sean, I was you know it was hard when um, Bernie dropped out. And it was really devastating. I voted for him for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Sean was like, now we have no savior. There is no one guy we're going to vote in there that we're going to try to expect to fix it all for no, us. A good like, thing. And it's a good thing because, you know, we have to get in the streets. We have to organize. People we were have hiding to... behind Bernie for years. And Bernie wouldn't have gotten it done. No. And so no, this, is, this, is the, <laughs> this should be the clean sweep. Yeah. And take, you know, that that we need and, you know, House, Senate um, and presidency. Obama had it and he squandered it. Obama, Obama believed and he believed that Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and those guys loved America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, he did. He, he believed believe he believed that. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't see him for oh. who they were. He did not see them for who they were. Well, maybe he would have shown up for the fight that was actually going on cuz he kind of showed up for a to a knife fight with a knife and they showed up with a goddamn nuclear weapon and mm -hmm. just you know tied this motherfucker up so he just occupied himself droning motherfuckers. I think I think that the I think that we will long contemplate how our government treated Obama as president. I think we're going to think about that a long time. Well, I mean, I think that's a reflection of uh, the systemic racism and, and the cultural racism that we have all been indoctrinated with. And um, there's there's no removing out of it. You know, there's no there's no extricating yourself through it without, you know, the work and the th thought and, and the practice and recognizing that you are in something that needs to be extricated. When it became, became clear that the Republican position was that the very, very worst white man was better than an exemplary black man. Mm. And it became clear when Mitch McConnell said, we will not do anything that he wants. Mm -hmm. Nothing gets through. Nothing. No accomplishments. We yield nothing. And he didn't. And look where we are.
yeah the system ain't working anymore so you know you you can't just uh overthrow it you have to build its its better replacement and that's what we're starting to try to do yeah and i i think what's what encourages me is that everything worked out for mom and this doesn't work knowing that people don't have health care and aren't getting a living wage like that doesn't work i mean it you know like your life can be good and it could work out for you but that doesn't who wants to live in a world where so many people's realities are so unnecessarily difficult and uh there's so much abuse and so much harm and so much uh tragedy and and yeah, that's I think that's that's like the collective awakening that's happening, and that's why this movement expands to Europe and and South America and everywhere is because people realize or are realizing how connected we are, and even if we're not connected, who who wants that for your brothers and sisters and 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 the world? You know? Well, the overmilitarized police have we have so many problems that could be dealt with with social workers. And you posted some stuff that was reposting on Instagram. Then I read all of it, and I, it was the first time I had read kind of the concept of getting rid of the, mili the militarized police and replace them with social workers and drug abuse counselors and all that. And been the in fairness to the police, they've been complaining for years that they're not trained or equipped to deal with all the domestic disputes all the drug abuse, all the mental illness, and you know yeah. stuff that that's thrown their way. They they should be back to to investigating robberies and break-ins and you know, you know like I had a whole like I had a it's so great this period because you you get you wake up and then you wake up again and you wake up a little deeper because of course I'm like social workers this is what they need this is what our world needs this is what people need is they need social workers not people showing up with guns and then someone posted social workers aren't necessarily the answer when pe social workers are just as dangerous as police because social workers come into a house and say you can't have your kid anymore like they're stealing children from parents and families we need a, to revamp the entire system not just how we care for people but that people aren't aren't in a position of such desperation where we're criminalizing poverty yeah defining to, defining poor people as de facto criminals what about ending poverty? Yeah. That's I mean, a project right there. I mean, it really starts from the roots. Ending the war on drugs, ending poverty, ending certain these things. It's not like, oh, if we just have someone show up without a gun, then these people are, then people who, you know, are asking for help are safer, who are, are in poverty. No, they're, they're actually not safe because they're treated and seen a certain way. Doctors... Um, the racism that's inherent in the, the, uh, with doctors and how black women die at such a higher rate or their, their pain is, is not taken seriously it's, or they're it's, not. It's, 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 it's women of color and it's women. It's the, most of the research on drugs is done with men. Like all they are just now learning about women. Women have completely different symptoms for heart attacks and things. It's like. They have absolutely ignored that. So it's just it, it's 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 white male. I wouldn't go that far. It, there there are problems that they, and I mean those the the white men embody them the most. But 
it's you know well that she's saying white men is who we we put our medical attention towards those those are the people that we we try to like okay we do the studies with and oh yeah of course that everything uh, all everything's uh built around it even to the point where this is a side note but um that they revealed years ago that like every dosage for prescriptions was based on like a white guy's an average male what what would that have to do with what Cass would have to take exactly exactly the dosage and everything else and it, it was like when somebody tried to prescribe, a doctor said, I want you to start statins. And I went to a specialist, and he wrote her a letter saying, you're out of your mind. Look at the whole person. This woman is an athlete. You know, I was rowing 10 hours a week. I didn't have any extra body weight. I was like, it was crazy well, it how fit I was. it wasn't about you. It was about it making was... sure that they write a certain amount of prescriptions. Right. Like, same with same with uh, police. It's like, we need to write a certain amount of tickets. You know, it, it's... It's uh, where the incentives are. The incentives aren't <laughs> for healing and having a healthy. <laughs> well, this is why I think that the future that we try to dream about and the one beyond police and beyond even a fucking social worker getting called on your ass is a redefinition of what community and accountability mean. Because there there are things we could do and there are steps to take. And it's very natural to who we are, everyone is to um want to do right want to do the right thing and know what that is Mm -hmm. do you think the law against murder has ever prevented a murder you know not very many yeah maybe maybe an organized crime where they're like yeah or no but it's like you know what it is the law against murder actually might increase murder in the sense (laughs) of like it's like well it's like you got to get rid of the witnesses and all that and so it's like (laughs) and this is what i mean we can start to redefine community and accountability and there's examples going on everywhere already but uh, I, I think there's places in, I mean, really throughout Japan, they're really like this. Like crime is very low there because like they don't want to, the, the embarrassment, the embarrassment because they feel they're so accountable to each other. They have a sense of the connectivity and we're so separated. Here. Yeah, I think it's really hard. It's, that's going to be a real challenge. And I, I, I think, I mean, I've. Well, it's going to have to get smaller. That's what I mean by hyperlocalization. It's going to have to get. It's going to be like, yo, would anyone in this complex here, however many people, rob each other? No. Or do wrong by each other in any way? In fact, it's the opposite. Yeah. I think every one of you seem to go out of your way to make each other's life better. Oh, yeah. Andy called me one or one day and said something about somebody's in going in your basement or something. <laughs> well, you left your garage open last night. Like, what does that say? That's like, you trust these people, you know, it's no big deal. And I feel like that, that sense could keep expanding and expanding and expanding. If we focus on eradicating the class structure and eradicating hierarchies because we start to love one another again. We start to transcend that scarcity model and live in abundance together and be accountable to ourselves in different ways and therefore be accountable to our communities in different ways. And our communities are not Target and AutoZone and fucking Walmart or Amazon. These are not our communities. So it's gonna, I think things are gonna change. Well, Main Street, USA, I mean, I think that that's one of the things I I love about living in Maine is that all the little towns, you know, they still have opera houses, (laughs) you know, (laughs) where there's still live performances and events and gatherings and stuff like that. Um, uh, 
there there's no Starbucks around here. There's That's not the enough, thing. There aren't enough people. You can go to Portland, and but there's none of that. We have very, you know, little of that. So our main streets look like a real main street. Yeah. Yeah, and there's co-op coffee houses where it's it's co-owned by all the people who work there. You know, which is a really cool. I guarantee idea. you, people are happier here than in the places where it's Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, CVS. Oh, we used to travel, like, the country thinking, like, oh, let's go travel, you know, let's go meet different people. I mean, we're documentary filmmakers, and literally every town is the same. Oh, my God, it's so fucking boring. (laughs) You're like, wait, am I in Georgia or... It's Oregon the, the or the strip malls and yeah. the interstates. Yeah, the excitement in this country is definitely—it's more of a state of mind. It's a way of seeing things because if you're just actually objectively just looking at it, what a depressing fucking place we've just given this place over to consumerism and the companies and the the, the people that just want to fucking well the region the, the regionalism is it's still there but it's it's harder to see. And and so we've there's with the national chains and everything. It's everything became so homogenized, and then that awful faux Tuscan strip mall architecture, like that came up in the like eighties or something. It's just like so crazy. It's like we're all like that makes no sense. (laughs) And most places where you see it, you know, it's like oh yeah, we're we're in this. Tuscan style. It's so tacky. <laughs> it's so tacky. Yeah, it's great in Tuscany, but yeah. that's why you see in our movies because we make our movies here. We're we're showing America. We're like, let's just show it for what it is. A lot of our movies take place in these weird ass like this weird dystopian like. Okay, we're in a Walgreens fucking parking lot. This like, is just. It looks like Paramus. Yeah, everything does. Everything looks like Paramus. Yeah, everything looks like fucking Ronkonkoma. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've probably been going for a while. Let's fucking wrap this fucker up. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much, Mom, for having us up to Maine. Sweet Marie Greener. Really appreciate that we've been able to come up here and know that we're uh, Corona COVID free. Yes, we got a test. That's why we're here. We got a you test. have to look at my um, Instagram feed of flowers, not fascism, if you want to see my art. Yes, yeah, look that up. Been a big inspiration to us. Uh, you, you've, uh, imp- your art is incredible Thanks, and honey. you've just gotten so much better and more creative and it's just really exciting to see how, I, where I, you've taken I it. I needed to retire and have time. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys. Thank you. This is fun. Peace and love. Peace and love.